The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Good morning, afternoon, evening. It's Lux of the Royal Deluxe Podcast, a podcast about the Kansas City Royals uploading every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Though, as I'm going to say in future episodes going forward, we're only going to be doing this for another week, and then we'll continue into the postseason uploading on Monday and Friday instead. And then in the offseason, well, things are probably going to be a little bit more quiet than that because, well, we're just not going to have baseball to talk about. It is what it is. Unfortunate, but it happens. The natural cycle of things. So thank you all for listening. Thank you all for tuning in. Good to see you guys again. You can follow me on Twitter at Royal Deluxe Pod or send an email at royaldeluxepodcast at gmail.com if you haven't already. So I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is that it's going to be over soon. The bad news is um, ba- basically everything else. Not It has not been good for the Royals lately. It has not been a good week for the Royals. They finished their series against the Detroit Tigers, and um, they lost. They lost all three games. They got swept by the Detroit Tigers, or the Detroit Tigers, as you might call them. Um, yeah, it's one thing to be swept by, you know, some team. It's another to be swept by a team that you actually kind of thought would be worse than you. Like the Tigers are the one of the very few teams that the Royals could say, hey, we're better than them. But not really, actually, because, uh, kind of got your, 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 your booties beaten. And uh, that's not good. It's really uh, not something you want to see at, at any point. And so, the Royals are now in last place in the American League Central. Whoop-dee-doo. I mean, not that this matters. It doesn't even matter in terms of draft position. A lot, lots of people are still like, oh, well, at least losing gets us a better draft pick. No, it doesn't. They They moved to a... It's a draft lottery now, so actually losing more games doesn't mean you have a better position in the draft. It means you have a higher chance of getting the number one pick, but um, yeah, so if the Royals end up picking like ninth as opposed to, I don't know, third, which you might think would be happening, no... No, it's not how it works anymore. So, uh, l- winning and losing at this point really, really doesn't matter. 
Although I guess it would be interesting. Do I said third randomly? The Royals are, I guess, better than the Nationals, definitely. The 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 Pirates, definitely, and then Oakland. So actually, they'd be on they'd be on track for the fourth overall pick at this point. Uh, if the Tigers stay ahead of them. Oh wait, they're they're also better than the Reds. So I'm sorry, they'd actually be picking fifth. Uh, ha, yeah. Uh, whatever. Um. So a couple things to talk about uh, in regards to the Royals. Some things that actually do make me mad, like winning and losing. It's like whatever, whatever, man. Don't don't care. Something that does kind of make me a little upset though is that yesterday the Royals optioned Jose Quas to Triple A Omaha, and in exchange, um, well actually, oh yeah, in exchange Taylor Clark was um reinstated or whatever he was in triple a he was rehabbing he got injured at some point so he's back and that's fine um jose not uh, not jose um taylor clark is an all right guy like he's been okay this season he did have this one stretch where for like a two-week period he had like a 20 era or something ridiculous it's like every time he came out just like gone the game's over um but he for the most part, has been pretty solid. I think he is someone coming up on arbitration. So this will be a bit of an interesting decision for the Royals to make, I suppose. Yeah, his first year of arbitration will be next year. Well, it's not like a big deal. It's not like he's going to be commanding a massive salary or whatever. Uh, he's a he's a pitcher with a career 4.7 ERA, 4.02 for this season. But still, I, I'm I'm okay with him sticking around for this season, and he has been one of our better relievers. Crazy to think that someone with a four ERA is one of our better relievers, but you know, it's, it's just it's, it's the truth. Am I wrong? How many relievers do we have that are better than that? <laughs> well, one of them might be Jose Quas. And yeah, Jose Quas has been optioned to Omaha in exchange for Clark. And keep in mind, Omaha's season is over. So basically being optioned, it's like, it basically means the Royals aren't going to like get rid of this guy. But obviously they don't want him on the major league roster right about now. And that's something that really confounds me. Why in the world are we sending down... And, and I guess, and I guess, like technically, this would be basically shutting down Jose Quas for the season, when there are other guys who have been pitching way worse than him. Like seriously, Jose Quas has been an all right pitcher this season. There's actually something I want to point out. Um, I've been saying that he's not good in high leverage situations or with runners in scoring position. It turns out it's like the act- the opposite, like. I don't know what happened. Like I must have, I must have some kind of confirmation bias where I saw him with runners in scoring position, give up some runs every now and then. And I'm just like, Oh, like that's just held. I've just held on to that belief the entire time. Like, Oh, Quas is not good in high leverage. Uh, actually opponents are only hitting 229 against him, which isn't as good as, you know, our best relievers, which are Scott Barlow or uh, Dylan Coleman. But it is pretty good. Meanwhile, it's actually the higher leverage situations, or rather the lower leverage situations, 
that he's getting hit around in. In low leverage situations, opponents are hitting 304 against him. So if he has runners on scoring position, opponents are hitting 219 against Jose Quas. With no with no one on base, opponents hit 333 against him. So yeah, I don't know what I was on when I said that Jose Quas is bad with runners in scoring position and things like that. It's actually the complete opposite. Now I don't think this guy is going to be, you know, a lockdown guy or anything. Like like basically my opinion on Jose Quas is that I'm not going to go to war for this guy. I'm not. But I do think that he can be a guy in your bullpen for at least another year or two. Like I don't I don't know if he's going to be a guy that lasts that stays in the league for a long time, but he is someone that can throw some innings and just be a guy in your bullpen that has a weird delivery that throws off batters. You know, he just comes out and, and batters just, are just like, "Huh? What is this?" You know, and there is some value in that. For example, remember that we had Tim Hill, who was a guy that wasn't like a great pitcher, but he had a weird enough delivery that he had some value. We ended up trading him for actual pieces. I think we traded him for Dylan Coleman and Frenchie Cordero. So, yeah, they're, they're, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's going to happen with Jose Quas either. But again, I think that this guy, this guy can stick the bullpen for another season. Like, if the Royals decide that they want to move on from him, they, like, non-tender him next season, then I guess I'll be like, fine, uh, okay, you know, they're the ones who have the information, you know, I'm just looking stuff up on Baseball Reference. But if they keep him around, like, I think that'll be a, a fine decision. If nothing else, he's a guy with a unique enough delivery that he can just offer something different in your bullpen, and also, he's a pre-arbitration guy. So he's very, very cost-controllable or cost-effective or whatever the proper terminology for it is. So I don't know why he's going to be sent down and just basically not pitch this season. Meanwhile, we still have Luke Weaver on this roster. Why did we send down one of our better relievers, I think, and keep Luke Weaver around. There is no reason to keep Luke Weaver on this team going forward. I mean, I, I understand the Royals probably want to try convincing themselves that something is there, but nothing's there. It, it's not. It's not happening. Take the L. You made a. You made a terrible trade. Just admit it and move on from it. That's it. Literally, the best thing, like, like, okay, if the Royals can find something in Luke Weaver, if they're like, guys, we have the answer for Luke Weaver, we, we know how to fix him, things like that, he's on his final year of arbitration next year. He's going to be around for one more year at best. What, what do you think you can get out of him? Like, what, what purpose does he serve just being around for one more year? We shouldn't be dealing with guys who have one year left. We're trying to build a team for the long-term future. And again, I'm not saying that Jose Quas is going to be in this bullpen for six years moving forward. Okay, he's, he's most likely not. But he still has a better chance than Luke Weaver. 
he still offers more for the next season and maybe the next season after that than Luke Weaver does. Jose Quas has pitched better than Luke Weaver has this season. I just, I see zero upside with Luke Weaver whatsoever. Like, at least Jose Quas, again, I'm not going to go to war for this guy, but I can at least come up with a defense for him. I can at least be like, hey, he does do some things pretty well. Luke Weaver hasn't done anything. I joked on Sunday or Monday or whatever that the best thing that he contributed to this team was getting ejected so that he wouldn't be around a pitch. There's just nothing that I see here. Nothing with Luke Weaver. And look, I don't mean to be, you know, mean to the guy. Maybe he's an all right guy. Sure, whatever, fine. But he's not a good pitcher, okay? He he has a six ERA, an above six ERA with the Royals. And, you know, with Arizona last, or rather this season. It's just, I just don't get it, dude. It was a bad trade. It was a trade that didn't make sense. And I say that as someone who was actually trying to make sense of it back when it happened, where I'm like, hey, look, Cal Eldred, believe it or not, does have some success with reclamation projects, which I do believe, I do stand by. You know, he he, he made Homer Bailey a tradable guy. He made Trevor Rosenthal a tradable guy. He almost made Greg Holland a tradable guy. It's happened. It has happened. And so I was going to say, like, if, if Luke Weaver shows up to Kansas City and pitches with, like, a 3 ERA, then I'll actually start to buy into what the Royals were thinking with this trade. But it's not happening. It hasn't happened, and I don't want them to try it next season because there would just be no point whatsoever when you have a billion other options to go with. If you want someone who can be a potential starting pitcher, again, a billion other options. In this, in, in, in this organization, around baseball, and they're not going to be in their final year of arbitration. So, yeah, I, I'm actually kind of mad about this move. That move just didn't make any sense whatsoever. I would have been much happier seeing Luke Weaver designated for assignment. Just, just, just do it, okay? What, what do you have to lose at this point? You've already, you already look like idiots for trading Emmanuel Rivera. And again, I'm not... Well, I, I, I say again as if I said this before in this episode, but I don't think Emmanuel Rivera is going to be, like, a, a guy. Like, I mean, maybe he can be a guy as in, like, a fifth or sixth infielder, just a bench player, which is, like, whatever. But still, you, you gave up a guy in his first year of baseball for someone who's in their fifth year and has not really had any success whatsoever. Just it's just silly. It's ridiculous, and I don't think you know Emmanuel Rivera's hot start in Arizona is going to amount to much. But still, just no matter how you slice this, this was a bad trade. It was a foolish trade, and uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of uh, of this move. I would rather see Jose Quas in here. And by the way, Luke Weaver did pitch in one of these games, and uh, yeah, it wasn't very good. He did end up lowering his ERA, ironically, because he pitched two innings and only gave up one run, but he had some inherited runners that he just let score, so I'm I'm not buying it. And if you want more reasons to be mad, well, the Royals had two absolutely dreadful games on Wednesday and Thursday. On Wednesday, they had Daniel Lynch on the mound, and he gave up a two-run home run to Miguel Cabrera in the first inning. And that was it. That was the only issue that Lynch had. After a pretty 
poor first inning, he would end up going six innings and only have those two runs given up. So it ended up being a pretty decent start for for Daniel Lynch, and I'm happy with that. And then Amir Garrett came in, Carlos Hernandez came in. They both had a scoreless inning. All right. Great. So who pitched the ninth? Nobody, because there was no need to pinch, p- pitch in the ninth. Because the Royals could only score one run. One run against the Detroit Tigers. That's something. And and keep in mind, this wasn't just one run. This was one run after ten hits and six walks. So they basically had 16 guys on base throughout the game and couldn't score more than one run. And that one run, by the way, also came in the first inning with a home run. MJ Melendez hit a a leadoff home run to start the game, and that was the only thing the Royals did. (laughs) Aside from that, they had 15 more hits and six walks. And they could not score a single run after that. That is, um, that's just unfortunate. It really is unfortunate. In the first inning, Vinny got on with two outs. And then Ollie singled. Both uh, Vinny also singled. And then Hunter Doja lined out. Awesome. Fourth inning, Ollie singled. Edward Olivares, of course. Singled with one out, and then Hunter Dozier flew out. Drew Waters got a walk, so he gets on base. So you got two guys on. And then Kyle Isbell strikes out. Sixth inning, Hunter Dozier actually singles. He gets a hit with one out. All right. Drew Waters gets another walk. Two-walk game for Drew Waters. Great. Kyle Isbell strikes out again. Nicky Lopez, he takes a walk. And then MJ Melendez grounds out. Awesome. So that was three guys on base that time and couldn't get a run in. In the seventh, with one out, Salvador Perez walked, crazy enough. Vinny singled. And then Ollie singled. So you got three guys on. Bases loaded with one out. And man, if it was if it was anyone other than Salvi as a lead runner, then maybe you would have scored right there. And I'm not going to blame Salvi. I'm not even going to blame Matheny for not pinch running him at this point. But it's fine. It's fine. You've got bases loaded with one out. What's the worst that can happen? Who's the next? Who's the next hitter? Oh, it's Hunter Dozier. He strikes out on three pitches. And then Drew Waters grounds out. Uh, at least Drew Waters got two walks, okay? Like, at least, I don't know. He's been helping up to that point. You know, so it's like some of these guys were just like, well, you know, like MJ grounding out earlier. It's like, okay, well, at least MJ's also the guy who did score a run at one point. That's just, that's just, that's just not good. They ain't good, guys. I want to point out some uh, cool fun facts about Hunter Dozier. 
because I've uh I, I discovered the splits page on baseball reference. So let me let me show you some things about Hunter Dozier. With runners in scoring position, keep in mind this doesn't actually uh take into account Thursday's game because for some reason baseball reference hasn't updated that, but whatever. Probably doesn't change that much. With runners in scoring position, Hunter Dozier is hitting 200 with a 260 on base and a 275 slugging. With two outs, he's hitting 205 with a 268 on base and a 298 slugging. Mm. You want to know what it's like with runners in scoring position and two outs? 180 with a 265 on base and a 246 slugging. That's uh, someone that the Royals want to be a leader on this team. That's uh, our veteran player who is under contract for two more years and about $17 million. Uh... You want all, you want you want to know how he's been hitting lately? In the second half of the season, he's hitting 198 with a 246 on base and a 249 slugging. That is a 54 OPS plus. How wonderful. How absolutely wonderful. It makes me think of um, something that I think he said in 2019. Because I, I want to believe that Hunter could be like an okay hitter again. Because we have seen instances of that even this season. First half of this season, I know this is going to be crazy, but Hunter Dozier was actually hitting pretty decently for the first half of the season. 77 games. 265 average, 327 on base, and a 445 slugging. That's an OPS plus of 118. All right, I've been I've been really sticking to that. I'm like, hey, Hunter Dozier did have a stretch of this year where he was all right. Now I I understand that these aren't numbers that you want to see from a guy who can't play a position. Like it's it's not good enough to be your DH. I get that, but at the very least, it's something like at least he's not going to be a, a clear negative on the team with those kinds of numbers but back in 2019 the one year where he was a good hitter I remember early on because remember early on he was actually getting like well I mean no one was taking this seriously but it was like after April he was considered like one of the like top five hitters in baseball. So people were just like, oh wow, is Hunter Dozier going to get like random MV? And is uh, is Hunter Dozier in the MVP race? Obviously not serious, but it was like you know, gi given the timing, it was like it was fine. But anyway, when Dozier was off to a really really great start in 2019, it was a really good thing, and people were just like, oh, what what changed? And he said something to the effect of like he just stopped trying so hard, like he stopped thinking about his, I don't know, his stance or his swing or whatever. Like, he just found a much more natural feel for hitting. Like, he stopped thinking about it so much. 
And it actually makes me wonder if that's kind of the issue that he has now. Not that he's not thinking enough, but that he's thinking too much. Because the the more important Dozier's at-bats become, the worse he does. When no one is on base, Dozier can be okay. He goes back to his normal stats with no runners on whatsoever. He hits 261 with a 323 on base, 437 slugging. There, there's your 118 OPS again. OPS plus, that is. With no outs, Dozier hits 272. With two outs, he hits 205. It makes me wonder, like, when he gets into a more important situation, I, I wonder if he's just overthinking things. I mean, that's a, that's a thing that some players do. Like, hitters are different. I can't say that I know the, um, the psychology of, like, any hitter, but I feel like that you can at least tell that some guys just do it differently. Like, I would say Juan Soto is probably someone who's really analytical. Like, he just, he's constantly thinking of all the possibilities, what to do next, and things like that. But then you've probably got guys who are like, I don't know, Anthony Rendon, who are just much more relaxed. They're just like, I'm just, I'm just going to go up and hit the ball. I'm just, I'm just going to do that. Why not? It seems like a good idea. And I think Hunter Dozier kind of became that in 2019 when he was actually good. But for some reason, it's like he stopped becoming that. And now you see him this season, when he comes up in a big spot, he's bad. But then when it doesn't matter at all, he can actually be okay again. That's when he gets his hits. That's when he gets home runs. <laughs> that's, when he, that's when he does something. Like he, Hunter Dozier produces when it doesn't matter at all. And then when you want him to, he lays an egg. And I don't know. Maybe it's because when it doesn't matter, he's just like, eh, whatever. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> I strike out and then there's, there's one out and we're still losing by four. Uh, big whoop. But then, you know, you get, you know, get a runner on second and there's two outs. He's probably like, oh man, I got to be real serious. I got to really think about this because this is a, this is a big moment. I got to, you know, drive in the winning run right here. I don't know. It's just something to think about. That's that's what I've been thinking about Hunter Dozier. I think that he's thinking too much, and he should he should go back to not thinking it at all. Maybe that is what he's doing. Maybe you know, maybe he is like, yeah, I'm actually not thinking at all when I step up to the plate. <laughs> maybe he can say that this year, and I'm sure that will go over with. <laughs> I'm sure that will go over well with fans. But I I hope you understand what I'm getting at with this, and maybe it will. I mean, I I, I again, I can't say that I know. I don't know what goes on in the guy's head. It's just kind of a, it's just a theory. And I think it adds up. I think it makes sense. And the one other piece of evidence I just want to point out, since I'm referencing 2019. In 2019, when there were runners in scoring position and Hunter Dozier came up to the plate, he hit 273. Okay. With no runners on, he hit 271. So, you, we're talking about how wildly different he is, depending on how many runners are on base this year. But when he was actually a good hitter, there was basically no change whatsoever. It seemed like he had the same approach all the time. Hmm. Very interesting.
Anyway, moving on from that, the Royals uh, had another game on Thursday. They lost ten to three. Do we have Do we have to talk about this? Do uh, what do you What do you want me to? Uh, just, no. How about, how about How about we just don't? How, how about we don't? Let's just call it a day. That was that was not good. I didn't I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. I was I wasn't even watching. I I was reading Chainsaw Man the entire time. We don't have to talk about it, okay? Let's let's not concern ourselves with trivial matters. Instead, let's talk about the fact that Mike Matheny might be getting fired. Well, I'm not really saying that that's going to happen, but that is the biggest question for the Royals going into this offseason. Is Mike Matheny going to manage the team next year? Now, I understand that he doesn't have well, I let me let me restart over. I understand that he was extended into next year, or rather, his option was picked up into next year. But that, like, I, I've, I'm just kind of hearing around that that's a pretty normal practice. That you usually don't get a, a manager who just kind of has this one year deal. He's like a he's like a lame duck guy. The Royals weren't going to do that. That's fine. And honestly, like, what is what does it matter if he has his option picked up? Why, why, what, what, like that? That doesn't mean they're not going to fire him or anything like that. It seems like there is a sentiment going around nationally that Matheny's in trouble, and he should be because I've talked about it a lot throughout this season. I'm not a big fan of his managerial style, and. I've I've said many times that I was fine with the hire back in 2020, and I even thought he was a good a man a good manager in 2020. But as time has gone on, he has just gotten worse and worse at the job, and I no longer believe that he is the right guy to manage this team. I don't think he connects with this team. I don't think he gets them in a good position to win. I'm just not a fan of him. Now, when discussing the coaching for the Royals, J.J. Piccolo has been, he's been playing it close to the chest, I guess. He hasn't come out and said that he's going to, you know, get rid of whoever. He's instead just said, we're, we're thinking about it. Like, we're talking about it. So it's kind of a, it could go either way, basically. And I don't know. I, I think I've said this before, but I don't really trust Piccolo. Rather, I trust him by proxy. I trust John Sherman. John Sherman is the only person in the Royals organization that has shown any modicum of honesty within the last, like, two years, I think. So I trust him. And he, I mean, I don't know if he, like, trusts Piccolo. I mean, I guess he does because he didn't fire him. But I mean, I, I do think that Piccolo was on a short leash, like uh, on a short leash. Like the Royals at this point are like playoffs in the next two, three, preferably two years, or get the hell out. If like if the Royals aren't close to the playoffs, and by close I mean like they need to be in con in contention within the final days of the season, and if that isn't happening, then Piccolo's out. And I and I think that's when Sherman is going to press the nuclear button, like just just blow it all up, get rid of everybody, because clearly 
this uh the, the issues with this organization are too deep and i wouldn't blame him for that i'm also i also but i i i like sherman's patience and i i think he has a good mindset when he's like i'm going to get rid of the kingpin but the guys who were underneath him they might not be so bad maybe we can work with these guys or whatever so anyway i trust john sherman and if he says i trust jj piccolo then I will trust J.J. Piccolo, just by proxy. Uh, what was I even getting at with this? Uh, basically, I think Piccolo is doing fine just by, you know, playing it close to the chest, but I'm, I really hope that he understands the issues with Matheny. And I think he understands that, like, like, I even if he doesn't really think Matheny is the issue, I feel like the Royals just need a a a fresh change of pace. You know, like they need a they just need a different guy to lead this clubhouse. I I really don't think like it's kind of like what some people have said about Cal Eldred. Like, there's nothing to really suggest that Cal Eldred is the problem, but there's nothing to suggest that the that he is the solution either. Like, do I trust Mike Matheny to turn a 95-loss team into a, I don't know, what would be our expectations at this point for next year? An 85-win team? I'm really just not sure about that. I Again, I just don't think that he has been the right guy for this team. And I still do think a little bit decently of him as a manager overall I've been saying that like if he went to the White Sox I think he would actually be really good over there I think if he had a playoff made roster he would probably do well with his more intense managerial style that I kind of uh think he has this kind of try hard mentality that he has I think that would work on a team that has playoff talent at the ready not the Royals who are basically playing a bunch of unproven rookies so yeah national writers have been looking at the royals and saying like okay they just they just fired dayton moore and so the manager that dayton moore hired he also has to be called into question because the royals haven't been good with him they took a huge step back this season understandable so i don't know i think if the national writers are going to get in on the hey uh i don't know about mike Matheny train i guess the bandwagon that wants him to be fired then hopefully that puts more pressure on piccolo to to, uh make the right decision which i think would be firing mike Matheny, because again i just don't think he's the right guy not not for next season i would rather like like if we're gonna like if we're gonna think of next season as the actual start to uh you know a long-term window or even a midterm window like a five-year window then yeah, just just get a new guy in for next season and and have him, you know, with like get someone in with the expectation that you're going to want them to be the manager for like five years. Don't get a guy who's like, yeah, I mean, Mike Matheny, but don't 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 bring back Mike Matheny knowing that he's in his final year, basically. Like, don't bring him back just to be like, all right, well, you're you're probably not coming back next year, which is kind of why the Royals picked up his option for next year because they didn't want that happening i guess i don't know there's just something about how it how that all works that uh that's why they did it does that that make sense fire mike Matheny is my point is what i'm saying and if that doesn't happen then my opinion of jj piccolo is going to 
decay significantly. It's going to worsen significantly. So, yeah. That's going to be what we end this episode with. A little bit of discussion about Mike Matheny, I guess. Because there was an interesting little article posted by The Athletic by Ken Rosenthal that, you know, mentioned a few teams that might be uh, in need of a new manager. And he mentioned the uh, the current Tampa Bay Rays bench coach, who used to be the Cleveland hitting coach. So, a bit of a connection to John Sherman right there. Uh, Matt Quattaro is his name, I believe. Which, I don't know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure who to go for for managers. It's not like, it's not, it's not easy to look into, you know, who are, who, who's a good manager and who isn't. But I guess you could start by looking at the organizations that are good and be like, hey, this guy who's like an assistant or has a lesser role somewhere, bring him into Kansas City and give him a much larger role. Kind of like what the Royals did with Drew Saylor, who was a hitting coach or instructor or whatever. He was a minor league coach in the Dodgers organization. And then they the Royals brought him in and were like, hey, you wanted to, to run an organization's entire department of hitting? That sounds like a fun little thing to do. Yeah. Awesome. Maybe the Royals can do that for their manager. Or they could just promote Pedro Grifol, who who people have been saying should be a manager for like five years now. So, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Just saying, options exist, and I think they might be better than Mike Matheny. I would rather not see Mike Matheny next year. Thank you. Anyway, that's going to do it for me. Thank you very much for listening to the Royal Deluxe Podcast. I'll see you... Today's Friday, isn't it? Oh, man. It's going to be the final weekend of Royals baseball. We have a six-game series against the Cleveland Guardians coming up. Six games in a row in Cleveland versus Cleveland. Though... There is a, some good news about this, and it's that Brady Singer is going to pitch two of those games because he's, he's pitching today, which probably means he'll pitch the last game of the season. And like I said uh, last time Singer started, if he pitches 14.1 more innings, he will have 162, which will qualify him. It'll make him a qualified starting pitcher. And then, you know, with the season he's having, that might get him a couple of down-ballot Cy Young votes which would be pretty cool. Yeah, I would like for that to happen. So go Brady Singer, really rooting for him, hoping this will be a good game, and hopefully we can, you know, maybe finish the season somewhat strong. Uh, who knows, though? <laughs> who knows? We just got swept by the Tigers. What what kind of optimism still exists? Uh, uh, big stretch. All right. Thank you very much for making this podcast a part of your day, and I hope you're having a good one. I'm Lux, and go Royals. <laughs>